You're listening to the New Life Church Podcast, where we are passionate about helping you connect to your God-given purpose. To learn more about New Life Church, including our service times in Canton, Georgia, visit us online at newlifecanton.com. We're finishing up this teaching sabbatical, and I'm so excited to have my friend Mike Adkins here with us. Uh, He did our men's uh, ministry. Before he comes, I need to show you a video from Coleman Bailey that he sent me uh, personally to my phone, and it's because of the giving $37,000. He is on the front lines, or he was last week. He is on not Western Ukraine. He is in Eastern Ukraine doing food distribution and water, and a great deal of that food was because of our gift into that ministry. And so I want you to watch Coleman right now. Hey, New Life Church, I am here in Zaporozhye. It's just a few miles from the front line. Uh, I'm in a warehouse now, right now, that uh, Gennady Makhnenko, one of our major partners here, has been able to establish. Uh, From this uh, warehouse, every single day, right behind me, they're making packets for families uh, to go out and give to people who are in need here. Uh, They have a water filtration system to where they've been able uh, to, to filter water, and they're giving just thousands and thousands of gallons of water out every single day. Uh, they've got uh, tons and tons of flour behind me um, that that they're able to bake bread. They, they send it to a bakery. They're giving out five to seven hundred loaves of bread a day. Uh, this work is made possible through so many people contributing and through people like you. And so, guys, thank you so much uh, for all of your help. Uh, thank you for your prayers, uh, and, and God bless you guys so much. Amen. Praise God. Incredible. So many people who could not get out of the war zone are stuck living in the rubble. Especially the elderly who couldn't travel, who couldn't walk, who couldn't move. And and they're living in the rubble of their homes and in bomb shelters. Can you imagine? We can't, can we? We get upset over, you know, $5 $5 gas, I mean, and, and rightfully so, but it puts it in perspective, doesn't it? But because of your generosity, we're ministering to those people, and I'm going to be meeting with uh, Coleman in San Antonio next week, and I'm looking forward to getting an update from him, and uh, we're planning to do a mission trip with him to DR Congo next October, so a lot of things in store. But right now, I am so excited. Mike Adkins was a pastor at Mount Perrin for in the late 70s and 80s uh, for 11, 12 years, and is one of the, just a a phenomenally known speaker, teacher, writer, author, pastor, and I know you're going to be blessed. Will you give him a new life welcome right now as he comes? Mike Atkins. Thank you. It's a blessing to be with you today. Um, I just want to mention that your pastor carries what to me, I've been in the ministry 43 years, and your pastor carries what to me is the most important single characteristic of a person in leadership, and it's humility. Uh, nothing matters more to me than that, more than gifting, more than uh, intelligence, articulation, any of those things. It's humility because, you know, the Bible says that sin came into the world through pride. And the way it goes out is through humility. And the redemptive act of humility uh, is something that is at the very centerpiece to me, in my understanding of the Christian life. Um, 
Humility is not something that you come by uh, by birth. And it's not something you come by accidentally. It's something that you have to be an active participant in. And I'm thankful uh, for your pastor's humility. And I, I just want you to give him a hand. And I, I also want to say, don't, don't let that go to your head. <laughs> so, I find myself always when I'm facing a group of people that many of you don't know me or may never heard me before, and I don't know when or if you'll hear me again, drilling down in my mind and heart as to what the most important thing I could possibly say to you as a Christian if I never got a chance to speak to you again. And for me, that has over 40 years boiled down to a single kind of thought. And that single kind of thought has to do with a true understanding of the most important dimension of Christianity that there is, the core issue of what it means to really live the Christian life. Because it's my experience that the Christian life is not something that can be lived uh, the ways that we have typically been taught. In fact, the ways we've typically been taught are ways that really don't amount to and don't, don't rely on the most important dynamic of Christianity, the very heart of Christianity. What is the Christian life? Well, the Christian life is, to begin with, it's a life. It's a life that Christ alone possesses and that Christ came to bestow upon us. Christian life is not a set of rules, doctrines, theologies, ideologies, perspectives, lifestyle decisions that we make and that we then, on the basis of that, like we would if we were part of a Rotary Club, make a determination that this is a good set of principles and values that I want to live my life by. And so I'm going to head off and do that. Because the fact is to do that apart from the life that Christ alone can possess and can impart is an absolute impossibility. As a matter of fact, I'll say something to you really quickly that may sound like a shocking idea, but I want you to hear it quickly. I want you to know that Jesus did not die on the cross to save you. I'm going to say that again. Jesus did not die on the cross to save you. Now, I want to tell you why he died on the cross. There's a scripture in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, and this is what it says. It says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We're not saved by the death of Jesus. The death of Jesus was to reconcile us to the Father. The purpose of the cross was to take a sinful man and a holy God and to bridge the gap that man could not bridge. Because man could not make his way to God, God made his way to man. And the Bible says the handwriting of ordinances, which was against us, which was contrary to us, he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross in his own body. 
Everything that was between man and God, Jesus became. The Bible says he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You see, the cross was given for one reason. The death of Jesus was to effect a reconciliation that only God could have effected. Man could not have effected it. He could not have brought it about. He couldn't have accomplished it. He couldn't have earned it. He couldn't have deserved it. There was nothing he demerited. The only thing that could happen was for God to take it upon himself to do what man could not do for himself. The Bible says we were dead in our sins and trespasses. We weren't just drowning. We were dead at the bottom of the ocean. How do we save ourselves? when we're dead. The only hope was that he would come and he would not only rescue us, but he would give us what we didn't have, which was life. You know, there's several Greek words that speak to life. There's the Greek word bios. So what do we get biology from? It means physiological existence or life. It's the same life that we share with plants. Then there's the Greek word suke. Suke speaks more of a lifestyle. It speaks of breath and, and the living, being a living being, but it also speaks more of the idea of lifestyle and, and the, the, the dimensions of life that we come to think of as, as our everyday existence. But there's a third Greek word, which is the Greek word zoe. And zoe means the life that God alone possesses. It's a life that is eternal. Now, how can somebody wrap up and give you eternal life? They can't give you eternal life unless there's some way in which the Lord could plug you into himself and himself into you. So when the scripture says, Jesus speaking, I have come that you might have life. Why wouldn't we just say, well, I've already got that. I'm breathing. I got a job. I got a house. I got a car. I got kids. I play basketball. What do you mean you came to give me life? No, he says, what you don't understand is from my perspective, you don't have life. Because what you call life, biological existence, what you call life, which is a lifestyle, is not even, doesn't even qualify as being called life to me. Because you see, God is spirit and he, those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But man, when he fell in the garden of Eden, he died spiritually, he died. Jesus, God said to him, on the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Well, he didn't die physically that day. He continued on the earth for many years, had children. So apparently his lifestyle did not die. But God said on the day, not someday, not as a result of eventually, but on the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Well, how did he die? He died spiritually. Man was spirit, soul, body and his spirit died. Now it meant he was still alive intellectually, he was still alive emotionally, he was still alive physiologically, he was still alive in appetites and passions and desires and interests. The external shell, the outer man was, was very much alive, but the inner man, the spirit, had been cut off from the life of God without hope and without God in the world, dead in our sins and trespasses. That's what the scripture says. And so man goes out of the garden into the world intellectually brilliant, emotionally vivid, willfully capable, determined, physiologically with prowess, and yet cut off from what was meant to be the very source of his life. The very centerpiece of his life was meant to be spirit. And so here's man, man is like a lamp. He's like a lamp that has a light bulb. 
but the light bulb burned out. And a lamp plugged into a socket that has a burned out light bulb cannot do what a lamp is supposed to do or be what a lamp is supposed to be. But not only did the light bulb burn out, the human spirit die, but he never got a chance to get plugged in. You know, that's why the Bible says that Adam and Eve in the garden, I believe they had spirit, they had soul, they had body, but they did not have eternal life. They had not yet had the ultimate plan and purpose of God, which was that his life would then come into their spirit. And then they would have eternal life. You know, that's why when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they got kicked out of the garden. And the reason, they said, is because lest they eat from the tree of life and live forever. So here's man created in the image and after the likeness of God, spiritually alive, soulically alive, mind, will, emotions, physiologically alive, body, senses, yet spiritually, his spirit dies. Never has an opportunity to experience the full life of God's eternal life plugged in. And now man goes out into the world trying to find his way. Trying to make meaning out of his life as a lamp with a dead light bulb and no electricity. So he paints his lamp. He hangs jewelry on his lamp. He buys his lamp a Ferrari to convey it all in the hopes that he's going to find meaning and purpose. But you see, man was created, unlike any other creature in all of God's plans and purposes, he was created expressly to be the container of his life. You were created and you make no sense until the life of the Lord himself is placed on the inside of you. But that can't happen with a dead spirit. I can't come to Christ intellectually. I can't come to Christ willfully. I can't come to Christ emotionally. For me to truly know and be born of the spirit, I have to have a spiritual rebirth. And that spiritual rebirth involves that old stony heart. Ezekiel 36, 26. I'm going to take the old stony heart out of you. The old light bulb. I'm pulling it out. Then I'm going to put a new heart within you, a new spirit within you. And then I'm going to put my spirit within you. And then I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes and to keep my ordinances. You see, the Christian life is not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a bunch of theologies and doctrines. It's not what so many Christians have come to believe, which is that Jesus died on the cross. He did his part. He said, okay, I've died. I've paid the price. I, I forgive you. I'm giving you a new chance now. There's the way. You all have heard me say this, some of you, before. There's the way. Here's the truth. Go live this life. I did my part. What more do you want from me? I'm finished. Isn't that what I said on the cross? It is finished. I've completed my part. Now, as a result of what I did for you, I'm expecting you. I've shown you the way. I've given you the truth. Now go and live this life. And do it right this time, because I gave you another chance after you blew the first one. And there are many of you in this room right now, if we drilled down long enough, if I had the time to sit with you, you've lived your whole Christian life with that belief. Jesus did his part. 
It's up to me to do mine. And you've been working really hard trying to do that. Maybe at times you give up. Then you start to feel guilty and you start again. And you make a redetermination. And you make a rededication. You make a recommitment of your life. You go over and over again trying to say, you know, Jesus did so much for me. How could I do anything less than give the whole of my life for him and do everything in my power for me to live my life for him? But I've got some bad news for you and some good news. The bad news is that God has made no provision whatsoever for you to live your life for him. If you're going to do that, you live your life for him. If you're going to do that, you're on your own. The only provision that God has made is for him, Jesus, to live his life through you. The provision God has made was that he would place his life in you. Jesus would come to live in you by his spirit. And then he would begin to express his life through you. In fact, that's what you were created for. It's not plan B. It's not God saying, well, they blew this thing so bad, I'm going to have to go down there and live inside of them. That's not what I had planned originally. But, you know, what can I do? Oy vey. No, saints, what I want you to know is you were created in the image and the likeness of the Lord as a container, unlike he didn't put himself in plants, he didn't put himself in animals, he didn't put himself in angels, he didn't put himself in planets or in the sun, but the Bible says when Jesus said, I am come that you might have my life in abundance in you. It's because that was always his intent. We were created, fashioned. We are instruments, one of a kind, irreplaceable, never to be created again. Every one of you here is a different instrument that God only made one of, only one. And he'll never make another one again, and he's never made another one like you before. And his intent was that he would put his life in you, and then he, by the life that he places in you, through your human spirit and your mind, your will, your emotions, your physical passions and appetites, through your physiological nature, he would express the beauty of his life through you as you learn to yield and surrender to him. To relinquish control of your life to him. But you see, most of us have been taught that Jesus died for me so that I could live for him. But you see, Jesus died for me so that he could give himself to me. His purpose of reconciling me was that he might then save me by his life, not by his death. His part didn't end on the cross. It began there. It was the first step necessary to qualify you and me for his life to come inside of us. Without his death, without his blood, without his reconciling power, without his propitiating sacrifice, without his willingness to take upon himself the full weight of man's sin for all of time, for all of eternity, to go to the beginning of man's sin, to the end of man's sin, and to pull all of it to himself in the cross and nail it to the cross in his own body. His purpose for doing that was to remove the barrier of sin 
that would keep his life from coming into your heart. That's why the Bible says, know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You know, it's interesting, the word that's used there for temple in the Greek language, there's three, three words that could have been used. One would have meant the outer enclave. A second would have meant the holy place. But the Bible says, know you not that you are temple of the Holy Spirit. The word that Paul chooses is the holy of holies. Do you not know that you are now the holy of holies? Well, what was the holy of holies? The holy of holies was where the presence of God dwelt. And the Bible says that Christ died on the cross, shed his blood, removed the barrier, bore the weight, took it to the grave, raised from the dead, ascended to the Father for one reason and one reason only, so that you would qualify for him to come and live inside of you. And then he could save you, not by the death that he died, but by the life that he alone can live through you. Jesus did not die to save you. He lives to save you now in you. He died to reconcile you so that you could then qualify for his presence to come and live inside of you. That's why the Bible says in Galatians 2.20, no, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Paul the apostle, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, when you live out of this first paradigm, Jesus died for me, thank you, Lord, that was amazing. Out of gratitude for what you've done for me, I'm now gonna go live for you. I've got a problem immediately. The problem is that the Bible says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. How different are they? Higher than the heavens are above the earth. Have you seen any of the latest telescopes? Higher than the heavens are above the earth are my thoughts than your thoughts and my ways than your ways. And you're going to live your life for me? In gratitude for what I did for you? And you don't even think like I think? And you don't even do things the way I do them? And the difference between the way you would do them and the way I do them are so different that the heavens, as high as they are above the earth, you see, we're already off to a pretty bad start. If Jesus died for me and he said, it's finished, my part's done. There's the way, here's the truth, go live the life. I'll see you when you get to heaven. Tell you how you did. <laughs> Probably not too good. <laughs> a for effort. I want to tell you what I'm, about, what I'm telling you right now. I have to tell people sometimes 10, 15, 20 times before they hear it. I hope that won't happen. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. I'm not using semantics. I'm not playing games with words. I'm telling you the most critical thing you can ever know as a Christian. God has not made any provision for you to live your life for him. The only provision he's made is that he would live his life, his plan, his purpose, his strategies, his perspectives. He would live his life through you as you yielded control of your life to his life. You know, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Most people, most Christians read that, especially been raised in many religious circles. You read that all have sinned and fallen short of the standard of God. Here's God's standard. Every one of you have sinned and fallen short of his standard. Because we're standard-oriented. That's what you do when you're going to live your life for Christ. Christ died for me. I'm going to live for him. He's got standards. I'm going to live up to them. And I don't want to fall short of his standards. But the scripture doesn't say for all have sinned and fallen short of the standard of God. It says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, God's more interested in the glory you're missing out on than he is on the standard you're missing. He's already dealt with the standard problem on the cross. What he's interested now is getting glory in your life. When the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, well, I need to understand what is the glory of God then? Isn't that a standard? No, the Bible says that the glory of God is revealed in a person. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you. The mystery hidden before the foundations of the earth, but now revealed. Christ in you, the hope of glory. For you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear also with him in glory. Glory is not a standard. Glory is the very life of his very essence and his eternality. That's why the Bible says in him was life. And that life was the light of men. You see, what God's interested in is that you don't continue to live the rest of your Christian life falling short of his glory, not of the standard, of his glory. And his glory is not you trying to live your life for him. It's you learning how to let him live his life through you. This is the glory that he's yearning to express to you. And this is the glory he created you to be. He created you to be the container of his life so that his glory would take up resonance inside of you. And as a result of his glory taking up residence inside of you, then your entire nature, your mind, your will, your emotions, your passions, your appetites, your physiological senses, everything would now recalibrate to what it was originally intended to do, which is to be the instrument through which God blew the breath of his life and expressed his nature and character through you. But when you live your life for Christ... The longer you live your life for Christ, the longer you're prolonging missing out on his glory. In fact, the longer you live your life for Christ, the more you're in his way. I've used the illustration before about my kids. When my kids were young, you know, I was out mowing the lawn, a little push mower one time, and one of my little girls came up and said, Daddy, can I help? I thought, well, okay, honey. So she came up, put her hands on the mower, you know, and she, you know, the, oh, look, daddy, a flower, you know, and she picked the flower, yeah, and then we'd go, you know, well, about an hour later, we'd mowed about, I'd say, you know, that far. And I finally, I said, hey, baby, why don't you go in and help mommy? <laughs> 
Can I tell you that's what I feel like the first 12 years of my Christian life was? I was a, I was a pastor. I was in ministry full time. But the first solid 12 years of my Christian life as I was, I was living my life for Jesus. And all I really was was in his way. Can I tell you what I believe after you get saved? Before you get saved, God's number one agenda in your life is that you would come to understand that you can't save yourself, that you can't fix yourself, that you need a savior, and that you would accept the work that he did on the cross. But can I tell you, after that, for the rest of your Christian life, the next most important thing he's going to do is try and get you to the end of you. Try and bring you to the absolute end of yourself. It took me 12 years. I was a slow learner. I just kept rededicating myself, recommitting myself, girding up my loins, you know, pulling myself up by my bootstraps, determining this year I'm going to really get it together for Jesus. This year I'm going to pray. This year I'm going to, this year I'm going to share Christ with everybody. This year I'm going to, you know, I was constantly trying to live my life for Jesus. But over and over and over again, I found myself in God's way. And finally, after 12 years, God would say, okay, Mike, here's what I want you to do. I go, okay, Lord, I'm going to reach out here. And I did it. Okay, hallelujah. Okay, then do this. Okay, Lord, I'm going to reach out there. I got it. Okay, great, then do this. Uh, you know, finally the Lord said, do this. And I stretched and I stretched and I stretched and I couldn't do it. Oh, I could fake it. The church has become great at faking it. I could, you know, I can wear, put on the uniform, sing the song, slap a little makeup on the pig and off we go, you know. I call it wax fruit. Looks good from a distance. Just don't get too close and don't bite into it because it might bite you back, okay? And when I finally got to the end, after 12 years, the end of Mike Atkins and told God, I can't do this, I thought God would say to me, I can't believe it. I've invested so much in you. You are such a disappointment to me. I can't believe that after all I've done in your life, that you now aren't going to pull this off. I thought you were one of those who could do it, Mike. I had such high hopes for you. That's exactly the speech I was preparing to hear when I went and told the Lord I can't do it. But when I told the Lord, Lord, I cannot do this Christian life, he said to me, are you sure? I said, I'm sure. You're sure? I'm sure. Hallelujah. You figured it out. Finally. You can't, and I never said you could. Jesus said something interesting in John chapter 15. He said, I'm the vine and you are the branch. If you abide in me, my word abides in you, then you'll bear fruit. Then my father, who's the husband, will come and trim you back, trim you back. And then you'll bear more fruit. And then he'll trim you back some more. And then you'll bear much fruit. And in this will my father be glorified. But he, then he said this in John 15, verse 5. He said, because apart from me, you 
can do nothing. Apparently, whatever it is I was doing on my own for him, in his mind, amounted to nothing. That doesn't mean that God couldn't use things. God will use a donkey. We know that from scripture. Okay? He loves people so much, he'll, he'll just work around us or over top of us, you know. But apparently what we think we're doing when we live our life for him in gratitude for what he did for us, which sounds so noble and sounds so lofty, in fact, in his eyes, amounts to nothing. One cup of cold water that Christ gives through me because I've yielded to his life and stopped trying to live mine for him will affect more eternal change than a kingdom I would build through my own strength, my own ingenuity, my own power, my own cleverness, my own fleshly capacity for him. When they're weighed in the eternal balance, Jesus was on the earth for 33 years. 30 of them we know virtually nothing about except for a couple of days when he was 12 years old. Three years, he became visible and public in his ministry. On at least one occasion, he was in the middle of a desert in the middle of nowhere in Samaria, sent his disciples in to buy food, and spent the most of an afternoon with one woman who had been married or had had five lovers and had never been married. What we think is important, what we think matters, what we think is significant, because we're going to do great things for God, because what did, look what he did for me. How can I not come up with a strategy and a plan and muster all of my capacity and energy to do something great for God that I come up with? When my ways are not his ways and my thoughts are not his thoughts and higher than the heavens are above the earth are my ways than his ways and my thoughts than his thoughts. You know, it's interesting that there's only 40 miracles recorded in this Bible, only 40 that Jesus did. But the Bible says in John that Jesus did so many other things that are not recorded and were never written down that if they were written down, I suppose the entire world could not contain the volumes that would have to be written. But these are written that you might believe he is the son of God and that you might have a life in his name. You see, we live for the highlight reel. But you know, a, a guy can play in the NFL his entire career and never make the highlight reel or make it once or make it twice in his life. Now, I could tell you 43 years of ministry, I got some highlight reels, but I got a lot of days of small, insignificant things, things that didn't seem to matter to anybody. But in, in heaven, every time I yielded to the Holy Spirit and allowed him to do, say, move, speak, or shut up and be silent, miracles happened. And I discovered that one moment of Christ living through me accomplished more than 20 years of me living for him. I was working many years ago, a uh, psychiatric hospital here in the Atlanta area. 
Ridgeview Institute Psychiatric Hospital. I was a clinical associate and treatment plan coordinator back before I got in ministry. And there was a kid there that had gone crazy. I mean, he had really gone crazy. He was back in the psychiatric wing. They had actually put him in a padded cell and they'd put him in a straitjacket because he was violent to others and to himself and he was a big guy. Somehow he had gotten out of that straitjacket, gotten out of that padded cell and he was in a security hall and he was just raging back and forth, going all over the place. When I came on shift, everybody was there and they were just trying to figure out what to do, what to do, what to do. And I was just beginning to learn what it meant to have Christ live through you versus me live for him. And I was just sitting there and I said, Lord, is it, do I have an assignment here? Is there something you want to do in this situation? You see, I stopped coming up with ideas. I stopped coming up with plans and trying to convince God, this is what I want to do. Won't you bless it? Because it's for you, Lord. I'm going to do it for you, Jesus. You know, imagine that, I'm going to get back to my story, but imagine that I ask you to go and buy me a Christmas tree and it's the day before Christmas and you go out and you, I give you $100, you come back and you come back with a rose bush about this big. And you say to me, isn't that beautiful? It's got all these beautiful flowers. I saw the Christmas trees, you know, just sort of green and ugly and this just looks so pretty. I brought this to you. I'm sorry, that's not what I asked you to do. I, I know you did it for me, but what you did for me is not what I need. And it's not what I asked you to do. It's not what I put you here for. If you write a, a paper in biology and the paper is, uh, you know, due on Tuesday and you write this brilliant, you know, uh, paper and you get 30 pages and footnotes and everything, you turn it in, but it's an English essay, you're going to get a zero on it. Not because it's not a good paper, but it's not what you were assigned to do. You see, if I'm living my life for Jesus, I'm largely coming up with assignments and ideas about what I'm going to do with my life and how I'm going to raise my kids and how I'm going to talk to my wife and how I'm going to run my business and how I'm going to do the things that I do because, and I'm going to do them by the principles. I'm, I got the way, I got the truth, I'm going to live this life. But when I'm letting Christ live through me, I get up in the morning and I say, Lord, what, what's going on today at work? Lord, there's my wife. How do you want me to greet her? Let your spirit begin to move through me because what I would do for you may not have, even be on the agenda of what you want to do through me right now. I move into a learning mode, a yielding mode, a surrender mode. So I'm sitting there saying, Lord, what am I supposed to do here? Is there an assignment? Do you just want me to pray? Is there anything you want me to do? And the Holy Spirit said to me, I need to talk to this young man. Take me back there. That's the only way I know to say it. On the inside of me, I've learned that it's almost like there are times where I sort of do this and Jesus sort of does that. I don't, I don't know how to explain it other than to say that. I'm not trying to be strange about it. But there's just a clear awareness, Lord. I'll go, but you've got to go through me because I don't know what I'm going to say when I get there. You just do what I tell you to do. So I, I had a friend. They were over here talking. I said, I'm going in there. He said, you're doing what? I said, I'm going in there. Lock the door behind me. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. <laughs> That's as far as I've gotten. I walked in. He started screaming, bloody murder, I'm going to kill you. And, you know, he's back in the back wing. I'm back on this wing. I just stood there for a long time. Oh, I forgot I brought my guitar with me when I went back there. And in the security wing, which is soundproof, I sat down and I started playing worship songs. I just started worshiping the Lord. And then I got up and I walked a little closer. I sat about halfway down the wall, started worshiping, sang a few more worship songs. 
Gradually, he got quiet before long. He was sitting down. Then I got up, I walked up closer to him, and I sat down next to him, and I played a couple of worship songs. And he just sat there. And then I put my guitar down, and I said, Billy, what I'm about to tell you could get me fired, but I said, it's what I'd want somebody to tell me if I was where you are right now. And I just shared with him a very brief understanding of his need for God's help. And I said, can I pray for you? And he said, yes. And I said, let's just close our eyes. And I prayed for him. And I said, you, you ready to, to get this over with? He said, yeah. So we walked up, we walked up. And by the time we got to the end of the hall, all of the other psych workers were there looking down the hall. What is he doing down there? You know. When I came out, I wish I could tell you, I thought, boy, that was a brilliant Atkins. What a great strategy. But you know what I did? I went and sat in my car and I just cried. I said, Lord Jesus, how many times have I been in your way and missed out on your glory? If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sees the right hand of the Father. Set your mind on things above and not on things either, for you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, when he starts to appear in your life, you get to appear with him in glory. That's the glory the Lord doesn't want you to fall short of. Not the glory of what you're going to do for him, the glory of what he's going to do through you. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I'm doing the work, don't I get the glory? Yeah, you would. But he's saying, let your light shine in such a way that the work that's coming through you is coming from him. And he's the one who gets the glory for it. I want to close with this one thought. I could go so much deeper and so much longer, and maybe the opportunity will come. But I want you to know this. What I'm sharing with you comes so deeply from my heart because I have a great burden for the body of Christ. Because so many believers are trying to live their, their life for Christ. And can I tell you, that is an impossibility. Apart from him, you can do nothing. Well, you say, well, I'm asking him to help me. I understand that. Like I was trying to help him. Like my daughter was trying to help me. But you see, something changes when you go from trying to help him to trying to get out of his way and let him express his life through you. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. There's a treasure in my earthen vessel. I thought it was in heaven waiting for me. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. You see, you got a treasure that was placed inside you. The day you got born again, you may not have known it, but you had an old dead light bulb in there. The first work that the Spirit of God does is he takes that old light bulb out and he gives you a brand new human spirit. Now you're alive in the Spirit. Then he takes his spirit and places it within you. 
You see, if I got a lamp and it's got a burned out light bulb and it's never been plugged in and I take out the burned out light bulb, throw it away and I give it a brand new light bulb, it can't really do anything more than the dead bulb did until it gets plugged into the power. If you had a brand new human spirit, born again, regenerated, but you never got plugged into the eternal life of Christ, if Christ did not come and dwell in your heart by faith, you'd be not that different. You'd have a changed heart and a changed desire, but no changed capacity or ability. Think about it this way. If I'm on a sail ship, setting my sails, raising my spinnaker, setting my compass, moving my rudder. I'm doing everything right, but I have no wind in my sails. I got no power. I know what to do. I know exactly where I am. I know exactly where I'm trying to get to. I know exactly the track I should get there to, how to get from here to there. But without the wind, I have no power to get there. And this, without the power of his life in you, is not something you can do. Paul the Apostle said, John chapter 7, or Romans chapter 7, the things that are right to do, I know. The things that are wrong to do, I know. But I keep doing the things that I don't want to do. The things I don't want to do, that's what I keep doing. The things I do want to do, I don't seem to find the ability. He says, I know that the law is good, it's true, it's just, it's right, it's pure, it's, it's righteous. There's nothing wrong with the law, there's something wrong with me. And he finally comes to this conclusion. He says, for when I want to do right, I find that I don't have the power to perform it. In my inward man, I delight in the law of God. But in my outer man, there's another law working, bringing me into the law of captivity, sin and death. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Romans 8, verse 2, he answers his own question. Praise God. Through Jesus Christ, my Lord, for the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is what sets me free from the law of sin and death in my members. You can't harness your flesh. You can't manage your flesh. You can't make your flesh act like Jesus no matter how hard you try. The only possibility that Christ will ever seen in you is if you get out of his way admit your incapacity and ability stop trying to fake it stop trying to act like you can do it acknowledge quickly Lord you died for me so that you could live in me I've been trying to live for you what a failure I want you to live through me I've been trying to not fall short of your standard and you've been trying to get me to not fall short of your glory. Oh God, forgive me, return me to a place where your glory can be seen in me, I pray in Jesus' name. I want us to pray right now. Maybe stand together with me if you would. If you were challenged and are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you find us. To experience other messages, videos, and live events, visit us online at newlifecanton.com. And again, thank you for listening to the New Life Church Podcast.